Ooh, Joel, welcome to the Invisible Path, man. Patrick, thanks for having me back. <laughs> thanks for having me back. <laughs> Beautiful early morning here. Early morning session. Um, I want to start out asking a couple of questions for you that I hope will lead us down an, an interesting path. <clears throat> have you been in, have you been in any big metropolitan cities recently? And I think the metropolitan component is important. Like Phoenix to me doesn't necessarily um, work in, in a perfect way because there's just not enough um, uh, stacked vertical living to really create the density that you'd expect from a traditional city? So no, no, definitely where I've been here in the Southwest, I've been you know, recently uh, to Las Vegas and, and also to Phoenix as well, but that is definitely spread out. It is not vertical living at all. Yeah. It's a totally different type of purely car uh, oriented thing. I do yeah. remember the last time I was in a, a fairly large city, uh, Seattle and Portland was, it was shocking to see the difference in the cities between uh, when I was there and when I, I had been there maybe you know, four years prior or three years prior. So anyways, what's your question? What, what, what was the, what was the, Immediately identifiable difference. Well, traffic, obvious <laughs> traffic. You can always talk about traffic. I would say cultural decay, more, uh, more tense, more tense around the cities. Yep. Um, for sure. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. We'll say cultural decay. So, so it's so it's so beautifully perfect because that has been um, this primary driving thought in my brain. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago now, some sometime in the relatively recent past, I kind of took um, almost a full week off to just think, and I visited both Denver and then like drove through Salt Lake and visited Park City during that week off. And I was just alone. And I was really, really uh, sad by the experience. You know, Denver is a city that I grew up in. Um, and it, the, the cultural decay component of uh, city living really struck me in a way that was that was profound and the amount of tents from last October when I visited Denver to this August September when I visited Denver was probably a hundredfold there's a park right across the street from the Capitol um, city park there that was essentially tent to tent to tent sidewalk to sidewalk full and then there's the and and then uh, we have just like everybody living life, right? So there's there's this whole grouping of people that have uh, now taken up a nomadic lifestyle. And so I want to ask 
I want to ask you, I, like, I get it. This isn't, this isn't the way that the podcast should start, right? We should have friendly banter for at least 15 minutes before we start talking about serious things. But we're just jumping right in because that because we spent an hour and 40 minutes of like friendly banter in the last one. <laughs> and we barely even got into this thing. Um, so I want to I wanna ask you where you think this like exponential expansion of uh, tent cities, because it's a thing that's like kind of in the undercurrent of the news, right? Like you, if you ask anyone that question, I think the response is the same. I think the response is, I can't believe the amount of tent cities that are happening in my town, in my city. And my guess is they are happening in Phoenix. It's just that Phoenix has uh, places, it's just everything's so spread out that you might not see it. Whereas in Denver, if you drive past the the capital, it's right there in your face. It smacks you. So, what do you what do you think? What do, I have a I have a I'm very confident in my theory, but I want to hear I want to hear your theory, and I want to hear more theories on what people think is going on. Well. And I know this isn't a fair way First, to start. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, great. It's great. So so I mean when this when the Soviet Union collapsed, um, it was an economic collapse first. And what we have here in the fourth turning in the United States and in other developed countries is a social collapse first. Um, that seems apparent, and and you can you can see that it's underway. Um, even in small towns, you can see more people hanging out on corners, asking, you know, begging for money, having a hard time getting by. And there's this concept of, I mean, this is not this is not normal. So there there are countries where this does not exist. Uh, I have a friend who who grew up in Hungary and he talks about the difference. He went to school though in Germany and he talks about the difference between Hungary and, and Germany. He said in Germany where he was, he could not go into a city park at night. It's just for junkies. That's where the junkies are. And um, in Hungary though, there's not a single park like that. Even in the largest cities, the parks are for the families. Mm-hmm. and 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 so there's this and even even my kids that they even see memes you know on on their phones and stuff about um about how like the oh look how healthy you know people the old people are seeing the junkies you know in the corner look how healthy they are because they're taking their I i can't even say the word they're taking their medicine that's administered by a syringe so aren't they being healthy um and, and so it's even trickled down to the point where it's a joke to the kids in our, in our country. Um, and so the one, one last thing I'll say about this is, and I, so far as why it's happening, um, before I get to the one last thing I'll say, why it's happening, uh, there certainly seems to be some, I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I would say part of it, part of it is that we did get rid of, um, mental health asylums and institutions decades ago and we kicked all those people onto the streets and so that's a that's a catastrophe because there are a few classes of people that are homeless out there there are people who are 
kind of hitchhiking around and they're younger or, or maybe they're they have all their faculties with them but for some reason they're doing this because of past trauma or they or they want to have fun or they're addicted to drugs and then there are other people who are just simply they mentally they're they're having they have psychological issues they have mental issues they need help and that class of people we're never going to really be able to um they can't pull themselves up by their their bootstraps or whatever right yeah uh, and so we got rid of the institutions that in the facility that would help them to, to yeah. some large degree uh, apparently in the in the 80s or 80s, 80s or something so one, la- one last thing thanks yeah one last thing i'll i'll say is that there's this concept that everyone i think especially <clears throat> living <clears throat> living in the, in the fourth turning should be aware of here excuse me and that is normalcy bias Mm -hmm. so a good way to think about like things are accelerating so fast right now if you think about what the world was like two years ago versus now if you tried to tell yourself you know your two year ago self what things were like now you wouldn't believe it things have changed so much Mm -hmm. and yet now we just sort of accept it and the Mm -hmm. incremental changes are happening so fast <clears throat> that normalcy bias is the only thing that keeps us sane in a way that keeps us thinking we are sane. And what this is essentially is you could, let's imagine you have <clears throat> a vice and every time you, <clears throat> you know, some vice grips, every time you, you turn a crank on the vice, the jaws of the vice get closer together. Let's say your fingers in the vice. <clears throat> What's happening right now, it feels like is that the vice gets turned <clears throat> to cranks. And that hurts. You say, ouch, ouch, it hurts. <clears throat> and then the powers that be, they back off one turn. And you say, oh, that feels better. And then they mm-hmm. turn it two more times. He's like, oh, that hurts. But then they, they back off one turn. You say, oh, that's better. And so <clears throat> we're just learning to accept uh, a lot of things that, uh, that are pretty darn unfortunate. And it seems like unnecessary. Yeah. I, so... I think that was a that was a really beautiful kind of macro perspective of um, of this challenge of this of this challenge that has been facing. I mean, the reality is right. Large cities have been facing um, a problem with with mental illness and and homelessness for essentially as long as they have existed. Where I think there's a new tweak is is in the COVID era. You know, everyone. So there was there was a there was a a class of people that were working essentially service industry jobs, and they were all told, um, "Hey, you cannot work these service industry jobs anymore." And during that time, um, they they then no longer had income. And now, now we're we're facing a we're facing a new problem as we come back out of COVID, right? Which is, hey, we can't find anybody to work these service industry jobs. Like, wh- what happened to this class of people that we used to pay essentially minimum wage? And what I think happened is they all opted out of society. I think that an entire class of people have decided to no longer participate in society, and they have they have found that it they the COVID showed them 
that they enjoy their life more not working, being homeless, than working their asses off for minimum wage and living in squalor. So we have lost an entire, I truly believe we have lost an entire class of people. And I've heard no one talk about this. I've heard lots of people saying, hey, we can't hire people. And I'll tell you, it's hard to hire people. It's hard to hire people below $25 an hour right now, but it's also really hard to live on $25 an hour right now. Like you can barely pay rent on $25 an hour. And if you can barely pay rent, why would you bust your ass 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week to end up as broke as you are being homeless? I think it's actually, it makes sense. But where, where I, if I'm right, if I'm right, and a, an entire class of people have opted out of American society, because I don't want to extrapolate this beyond the borders of America, because I don't know what's going on elsewhere. I, I have likely inclinations that it is very similar, but I know that looking around America, I can see it's happening here. If we've lost an entire class of people, if they've opted out, this is a 40, 50 year problem. This is not a pro like you, once you opt out of society, once you say, hey, I don't have a, a record of where I lived for the last three years. How easy is it? How much work do you have to do to then get back into the place where you can rent anything? How, how easy is it going to be to come back and say, okay, yeah, I'd like to have a job, but yeah, I've just been homeless for the last four years. Who's going to hire you then? And if they do, what is the likelihood they're going to give you the midnight shift, all of the worst possible things? So I think what we've done is we've, we've created a 50-year problem that everyone is just driving by and being like, huh, that's fascinating. There's 100 times more tents in that park than there were six months ago. I wonder what's going to happen there. So with the so so let me let me get your thoughts on that. Do you think that's a possibility? Cuz I'm really really confident in this one, but that doesn't mean it's right. It's hard to go back. I mean, I, I yeah, I agree with you. It's really hard to go back. Why would you go back? I mean, we're we're clearly moving towards um towards a UBI, a universal basic income. We're sort of patchworking that together with all sorts all sorts of different entitlement programs and, and whatever. Uh, and man, I can't believe people are toughing it out in Denver. Like at the high altitude, it gets cold there in the winter. For so sure. they're gonna have to go south. Oh, they have to go south, but uh, which is which is part of it. It's a nomadic thing. Um, yeah, it it's an absolute it's an absolute catastrophe. And and it is no one really seems to have systems thinking about this. Um, there there's either gross incompetence um, at the higher levels or nefarious intentions. And it's really hard to, I don't know. I feel like I've gone so far down the rabbit hole. I think it's probably the latter at this point, but um, you look at, so, so then you want to say, okay, well, you don't want to, you want to be a nice person. So we don't want to kick any of these people out of their homes. So we're going to have the, um, you know, the pause on paying rent. We're going to have the rent moratorium. And what's the, what's the consequence of that? If you think about, because it's like, oh, you know, eat the rich and aren't these landlords evil? Well, most of the landlords or many of the landlords in the United States are still kind of mom and pop institutions. And so what's happening is they're not really getting a bailout on this. And so mm -hmm. many of these landlords sometimes themselves even become homeless, which is a, a, mm -hmm. just a, 
ridiculous kind of uh, scenario to be in and they can't even kick a tenant out or a deadbeat tenant to live in, in a place that they own. So they're going to lose those properties. So who's going to gain those properties? It's going to be Zillow. It's going to be BlackRock. Yeah, it's going to be large investors. For sure. it, yeah. it might even, it might even just be like some, you know, arm of, of the government in some way just eventually purchases those and takes those over. But re regardless of who it is, it's going to a larger entity. And so it's a consolidation. It's a further consolidation. And so you had mom and pop stores that were forced to shut down and a lot of them closed. And a lot of them, um, they had to even sell their, their property. So now you have a bunch of retail property and uh, rental properties, residential rental properties and multifamily residential or multifamily rentals that are all now being consolidated and being gobbled up by, you know, the Amazons, the Black Rocks of the world. Um, so I hope you'll enjoy our new overlords. Uh, that's that <laughs> trend will not that trend will not stop anytime soon. Okay, so so I think it's interesting because now now we've talked about uh, the dissolvement or dissolution of um, up to middle class essentially, right? What you you are talking about you are talking about upper middle class in mom and pop uh, real estate second properties rent, rental properties. So we've talked about this about this service class dissolving, and now you've talked now you've talked about middle class dissolving. So there is an, an, an and, and, and I think then, I think then we have to go back to, to the like very first sentence you had, which was uh, a, an economic dissolving of um, communist Russia, right? Like, are we witnessing, are we, are we really witnessing the, the preface of a true economic, an economic failure that is starting from the bottom up? Uh, in America, I, I think that the I think that the problem of losing the service class is so underappreciated because we really when when we are interacting with that class of people, we are playing this royalty performance, right? When you sit down at a restaurant and you have someone come over and present you with a meal. You are just playing the role of a king and you don't, it's hard, it's hard to think about the peasants when you're the king, right? So it's like, you, I got enough problems going on in the castle. I, I don't have time to worry about what's going on in the squalor of the pig pens. Um, but are we, are we, is, is, do you view that as a viable possibility that we are, we are really, it's here. Um, I was listening to this this billionaire tech investor from India, and he was talking about how San Francisco in 2021 reminds him so deeply of Mumbai in the 1980s. And 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 when you think about when you think about this this superpower that we we want to pretend that we are in America, the, the global police, the 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 global currency, like we, we are the thing. If, if we are reminding people of, of India in the 80s, not India today, which if you go to India today, you're going to see crazy things. But India in the 80s, we have some, we have some, some things to deal with. Uh, 
<laughs> we have some problems. You got to tip big. That one, that's one definitely, thing I'll say. Definitely you know, true. Everyone, you know, you're out there, you see some like young kid who's probably saddled, is going to be saddled with all this student loan debt. They don't even know it. They don't even know it's coming to them yet because they're still in the middle of it and they're 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 happy and they're thinking about the degree they're going to get, or maybe you know it's just a single mom or something working. That's a real catastrophe. That's so that can be so hard, especially in the service industry. So tip big, tip in places where it doesn't where they're not expecting a tip and just give someone twenty bucks or whatever whatever you can do. Um, do that every once in a while. It feels good, um, but the guy, yeah, Patrick, I didn't know we were going to go to straight you know, know. Doomer, Doomer <laughs> podcast today. So the real, the real problem is that, um, is that, I mean, we, we certainly are in, you know, some kind of economic collapse. Uh, the numbers, all of the official, you know, finance numbers out of, you know, out of the official channels of the government, they're, they're gamed, they're rigged. I mean, the, um, the inflation numbers have been rigged since uh, the, sometime in the 80s. They switched some fundamental things uh, about those around. Um, I was on the road yesterday, not the day before, and uh, went into a gas station, got a couple bags of ice, and decided to surprise one of my kids uh, and myself because I'm going to steal one out of the packet 100%. I got a little uh, sleeve of chocolate covered hostess mini donuts <laughs> on the bag on the package right i haven't had this in, in a long time yeah not that i'm pure i'll eat garbage food all the time whatever i haven't had these in a long time so it says on the package new look same great taste i'm looking at the package the package looks exactly the same except it's shorter it's mm. two donuts shorter it used to be <laughs> eight it, it used to be eight mini donuts for the package now it's six mini donuts in the package. Now it costs the same amount. Now they have to put on that package. It's the same great, uh, same you know, different look, same great taste. They have to do that because you grab the package, and at first you don't. You question your memory. You're wondering, well, is this really different? Oh, it says it has a new look. I'll just accept that and pay the same price for six donuts as eight. Now maybe that's not an issue because it's just a stupid little luxury food. But if everything, if, if all the, the consumable things you're buying have two less mini donuts in them, um, you've essentially what has happened. It's not that you're getting less food. It's that your, your money's buying less, your money has less purchasing power mm. and that's happening at, at a large scale. I mean, you look at the, the increase in rents, rents went up, a stupid amount everywhere across mm -hmm. the country, you know, 10% or more everywhere. That's not the rents going up. That's your purchasing power going down. If you had any savings or it's the purchasing power of your um, salary or your, your, you know, fixed hourly wage. And that's a real catastrophe for people. Uh, oh, I had so many other places to rant in this, Patrick. So one of the issues though, I think we've brought this up before is that, a real problem with the economic collapse here is that it's not going to be like the depression in the thirties where the men wore suits and the women wore dresses and we had real cultural cohesion. Yeah. Now what we have is when, when things go bad, people are rioting. There's far more of a chance of, um, 
you know, violence and, and theft. Um, and because there isn't a, there isn't a, a cultural cohesion anymore and there isn't as much of a, a, a moral compass. And you might say, well, sure, the moral compass back in the 1930s, it was all Christian based and it was all evil because of that and because I don't like Christianity and blah, blah, blah. That may be fine if that floats your boat. Um, but you have to still admit, and there were a lot of problems back then, of course, but um, people knew their neighbors. They mm -hmm. had backyard gardens. They had mm -hmm. victory gardens. They had a memory of that. Uh, I don't grow any of my food anymore. This is about it right now. The javelina will take everything else. So <laughs> you've, you've got the fence and you've got to figure it out. But it's not just the one problem of, well, economic collapse. It's like everything is coming in together at once. And I think part of what's happening with, with policy and what's going on at the national scale currently and over the past few years and going forward essentially will be some kind of way to distract the public from what's actually happening to them and what's happening to their cities and what's happening to their society um, and and trying to create scapegoats wherever possible for that mm. um yeah so doomer podcast continues this is dark Patrick. <laughs> um, if you think about it, just one quick thing i was thinking this morning about like how much things have changed between today and when we started the invisible path which was yeah. just like not that long ago at all for sure yeah 11 episodes ago um 12 episodes ago somewhere between 11 and 12 episodes ago which is not that long couple months um yeah things are things are changing very rapidly i think when i think about the obstacles within within governance one thing that I keep going back to is that the we have we have um, a governmental framework that was put together by by brilliant, forward-thinking. Um, I mean, I, I want to say futurists because they they really they really spent a lot of time and effort uh, working to prevent the things that are going on now from going on. But more than that, the people that the, the, the framers, right, the, the people that created the Constitution, the, the policies and parameters um, that, that our government is built upon, they were creators. They, they, they were visionaries. And the people that are being elected into office now, I don't know a nice way that I can say it. Um, they're not the uh, brightest members of society. How about that? Like the, they're not they're not leaders. They're, they're, they're people that are completely incapable of creating the structure that that was created for them. They do not have the capacity. They, they're, they're just not the same quality of people that the that the system was designed by and designed for. And that is a problem that I don't think was ever, there was no foresight put into that, right? There was no foresight put into the fact that humans would somehow start electing incapable people. But um, we definitely have had and have incapable people in office that are, that are, that are doing things that, 
incompetence or 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 whatever you want to call it um it's it's more than clear that if if we just put the the quality of human if we took out policy completely and we just said here's one set of humans and here's another set of humans and one set of humans was the framers of our our political system and the other set of, of humans was the people involved in the political system now they're they're very different humans and that means we're probably not going to get a solution from that group because they're incapable of it they're just not people capable of solutions yeah correct correct totally agree with that um they're good. They're good at getting elected, and that's a different skill set than running the country properly, and maybe even making the country take a bitter medicine any every once in a while. Absolutely, to make it to make it better. Um, there are so many things that are just driven by narrative, and maybe it's because these people don't know any better. But you look at like. Um, you okay? You look at AOC wearing the tax the rich or whatever that that dress was at a a gala that is just a display of obscene privilege and wealth. And then anyone who's serving those people food, of course, is wearing a mask. That's a fascinating thing at this point, where the mask is a symbol of your servitude in a sense, but. And then, and so what I'd like to say though, getting back to the part, so, you know, maybe you like AOC and you're hating me right now, but let me just, just listen to this next thing. There's all this rhetoric right now about how we're going to soak the rich. We're going to tax the rich and we're going to tax them at 60% or whatever. And if you look back at history, uh, apparently economists talk about this all the time, at least the ones that, that don't get any airtime on the mainstream news talk about this about how you can look back historically at America and you can look at the percentage of tax collected versus the gross domestic product. And it doesn't vary more than like one or 2% ever, regardless of the tax rate. And so you, you can look at periods in the past where we had a 90% tax rate on the wealthy. That did not change the percentage of taxes collected versus gross domestic product one damn bit. And someone in government who is driving this narrative of tax the rich, they must know that, but it doesn't matter to them because they know that this is just what they say to get reelected. And why is it that they want to get reelected? Well, you get lots of connections that way. You look at um, Pelosi's husband apparently bought a ton of stock and other people did too in government. They bought a ton of stock of some company like you know a few days before it was announced that they were going to get a bunch of government contracts. Like, this is not a new revelation. This is just how it's always been. There's just a, you know, a fair amount of, uh, you know, corruption in the system. And, and if I was in there, frankly, I don't know if I would be any better. I mean, you see these opportunities to make a bunch of, you just make stupid money. Um, I don't know if I'd be any better. Um, I might not be. And so getting back to the point about who gets elected, it's people that are good at getting elected. This you know, this is why like Plato's Republic and the philosopher Kings and all of that was such an important idea that, that the people that should be in there running the show are the people who don't want to be, 
and the people who would never get elected and the people who would tell you unpopular things and the people who would have so much nuance that they wouldn't be able to drive a single narrative like build the wall or whatever, like just some cartoon narrative that gets people to vote for them. Um, and so we're going to continue to live in Plato's cave being shown shadows on the wall um, while they try to prop up the narrative as best as they can. And so unfortunately, part of the invisible path is that is dealing with some of these uncomfortable issues and trying to look outside of the cave to see what is happening so that you can do what you can for yourself and, and your family. Okay, I want to go back to many, many things on that. Um, cause I think it, I, I, I couldn't imagine we've got, would have, would have made it here, but I think this is a really interesting thing. I find it hilarious, uh, the amount of attention, negative attention that AOC got for, for being at the gala, right? Because if Donald Trump Jr. was at the gala, he'd be wearing a tuxedo and no one would have said a thing, but she's getting attention because she put tax yeah. the rich on the back. Um, so, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a wild thing to, um, it's a wild thing to say, to, to, to call out the hypocrisy without acknowledging the hypocrisy, right? It's like, okay, AOC went to an event with a bunch of rich people and said, tax the rich, but so did Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell was with the mm -hmm. Koch brothers at some gala. I will guarantee it. And he wore a tuxedo. So no one like he fit in. So no one said anything. Right. It's a very interesting thing when when we when we when we take a negative approach to someone who's trying to send the message. Now I want to I want to get into your to your tax the rich thing. Um, so so help me explain what you said. You said when we were taxing the richest class at 90%, it didn't impact the, the government coffers. Is that what you're saying? It, it, yes, it doesn't actually impact how much, how much money the government actually collects at all. And that's because the wealthy people will just say, well, I'm out of here. I'm going to find either a new tax vehicle called a, or a tax shelter vehicle, maybe something called a foundation. That's a good one. Have yeah. you heard of anyone who has a foundation? That's just a tax uh, shelter. For sure. Um, but so it doesn't matter. You can go from, uh, you can tax the rich at 90%. You can tax them at 20%. You're going to yeah. get about the same amount of money out of the wealthy regardless. If you tax them really, and I'm not, I'm not really offering an opinion on whether or not we should try to tax the hell out of Jeff Bezos or not. I'm really not. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying that like, game theory wise and what effectively works that doesn't work i think it was it was france maybe they had this really aggressive tax policy for a while so all the all the millionaires and billionaires they just bailed out of france and then france had a really poor economy for a while and then some other leaders came in and said well this isn't working let's make it tax friendly again and then they said okay we'll come back and so and like it or not the wealthy people are you know some of them at least are doing very productive things that help the rest of us peons down here. Um, yeah. So, so I think there's yeah. a couple of important things when we, whenever we compare Europe to the United States, right? Which is that Europe operates more like United, like like the collective United States than it does as an an individual United State, right? Um, 
because you know if so right now people are leaving california in droves um some people say it's for taxes i'd venture to guess it's because the quality of living has declined to the point where it's just not worth it to live it there anymore because there's been a there's been high tax rates in california for a very long time that wasn't a problem people were moving there people were paying millions and millions of dollars to live in a tiny little postage stamp house because they wanted to be in this state that had a lot of things now as quality of living declines, then eventually you're like, well, paying $2 million for a poached stamp size house maybe isn't the thing that I want to do anymore. And, and in Europe, you know, if you don't want to be in France anymore, it's very easy to move to Germany, right? There's portions of Germany that speak French, like you can move right across the border and there you go. So it's more like moving from California to Nevada than it is moving from, from the United States to France. So I think that that, that, component has to has to be factored in on this and it's it's much easier to move from California to Nevada than it than it is and to move your your livelihood from California to Nevada than it is to move from California to even Canada which shares a physical border but we just don't have the immigration policy that Europe has like that it's just it's a different ball game in the United States and I think we have to acknowledge that whenever whenever we're comparing and contrasting the, the two spaces um I also think that it's impossible to argue that the United States has offered more economic opportunity over the last 100 years than than virtually any place else on this planet and that the and that the wealthiest members of we we can exclude the super corrupt right if if we it, sure there there's one family in saudi arabia that's making more money than everybody in the united states i get it you can point to specific examples there are oligarchs in russia that are extracting all of the resources from all of the citizens i get it there are there are specific individuals out there that have had better economic opportunity than the united states but as there are very few people on the planet that have benefited more from being born in. And now we go back to free will, right? It was just like Jeff Bezos was born at the right time. And he has benefited more from the fact of the system that he was born into than the rest of us. And I think it's, I think it's crazy uh, to not think that the people have, who have benefited the most should give back the most. And yeah, if we say, well, yeah, we can create loopholes and they can buy a ranch and then they can write, uh, they can write all these repairs off on a ranch and they can write off $500 million of fencing that they added, which only adds value to their real estate. Yeah, those are problems. But I don't think it's fair to say, well, there's, there's, there's tax loopholes that rich people can take advantage of. Therefore, we shouldn't try doing anything. I think we should close tax loopholes and be like, hey, yeah, I think it's fair that the people making $30,000 a year should should not have to pay an equal percentage as the people paying the people making $300 million a year. And I, I think it's a pretty easy thing to say to the people at the top who benefited the most from the system should also give back the most to the system that they benefited the most from. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just referring to like practically what's happened and uh, and what the state of affairs is right now. I think it was in the maybe early 80s or maybe even in the, the early 70s when 
the U.S. went off the gold standard. This was there was a divergence um, between corporate profits and the profits of labor, um, where the the trend lines just diverged, and you had more and more wealth going to the very top people and the working class essentially well it was really good for quite a while but now you can see it's harder and harder um and it used to be that one income would work uh back in the day when you were working for if you worked for henry ford i mean he took a massive risk by investing in um the assembly line and by mm-hmm. inventing that and the work was so brutal and so monotonous and he had such a high turnover rate of workers that he had to double their salary from $2 and 50 cents a week to $5 a week or wait, was it a week? No, it was a day. It's $5 a day. Um, was it? Oh, now I'm missing it. Oh, I'm missing it. But it's more. So I remember listening to this economist talk about it. It was essentially the equivalent of making, about $120,000 a year today. But back then, they really didn't have income tax. They didn't have a lot of taxes we have today. So, and so it was really the equivalent um, of making more like 180 today if you factor in uh, all of the other fees that we have to pay today and the health insurance and all of this other stuff. Now, you can say obviously that things are much better today. You'd much rather live today rolling around mm-hmm. in some magic battery operated Tesla than in an old model T. But as a percentage wise, um, certainly there was more going to the workers back then. And there've been a lot of, uh, it seems like policy changes that have, and other probably macroeconomic things that I just don't understand that are making that so that the workers, their purchasing power and their ability to get ahead is, is eroding just so much over time. And it used to be, yeah, one income. One income would do it for the whole household. And then it was, well, women's liberation. Why don't you go out and get a damn job? Uh, because we can't even keep up anymore. One income doesn't do it. And now it's now it's two incomes and a side hustle. What's your side hustle, right? Mm-hmm. So you think about that. And the side hustle is now this cool thing. You think about what that really means. It's this erosion of uh, purchasing power and people able to get ahead. And even if you can... Man, I'm just ranting, aren't I? Even if you can, <clears throat> what do you what are you going to save in? You're, okay, you're going to save your money. You're going to put it in this highly leveraged casino called the stonk market and <laughs> get some stonks. It's a meme stocks or whatever. Everything is crazy overvalued. Um, or you're going to hold cash, and cash is buying you two less mini donuts than it did a year ago. Um, and if you're in the stock market, it's great now, but the thing is over leveraged. And the only reason it's great right now is because we're putting a lot of, uh, at the, the, the federal reserve is, you know, pumping just tons of cash into the system. And if they turned that heroin off, Peter Schiff talks about that, right? Essentially the economy is a junkie and we're giving it monetary heroin. And as soon as you stop that trickle of heroin, well, the whole thing collapses and everybody knows that. But it doesn't matter because we're all still playing this sort of game, even though we know it's fundamentally broken and dishonest. Yeah, I, I, I think it takes us right back to, to the first and only question that I think we asked, I asked, which was, you, know, you talk about, okay, 
It used to be one income and it used to be one, uh, any income essentially, right? You, one person in a household yeah. worked and they could, you could, you could support a family. With and an eighth grade education. Yes. And that, that was a reality. And, and then it went to two incomes and now it's gone to four incomes, like two jobs plus two side hustles. And, and it takes me back right to the point, which is, and a lot of people are deciding that's not worth it. And a lot of people are realizing, holy shit, I'm working my ass off and I don't have any money. There's zero dollars there's zero dollars or less than zero dollars left at the end of the month. Why would I keep doing this? And I don't think there's a great like I the I think the reality that we are in is it's very hard to go to somebody and be like, hey, I know you're working a day job and a night job. And I know you're living in this squalor apartment with cockroaches, but you just got to keep doing that because there's a, there's a few, there's a future, right? There's an American dream in front of you. I think it's really hard to go to that grouping of people and, and say that because I don't think it's true. I don't think there's a path out for them. So why, if there's no path out, why wouldn't you say, well, I have $250 in my bank account right now. REI has a sale on a tent that I can buy for $95. That solves that problem. And I can panhandle probably $200 in a day. Maybe it's two days. And then I have $200 that's going to carry me for my food needs over the next seven days. I don't have to work for seven more days. And I'm essentially in the exact same place I was working 80 hours a week, a day and night shift job. I think that problem is going to bite us in a way that we are not even close to prepared for, and it's going to happen sooner than we're prepared to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, it's... Joel, save uh, us. Save I, us, Joel. No, no, that's the thing. So, so what's what's interesting is the the wealthy people, they're not talking right now about how do we fix this? All they're talking about is like, well, shoot, I really thought New Zealand was going to be the best place to bug out to. But yeah. now because of their cerveza sickness restrictions, it's not. So where's the place to bug out to? And the, the space, the, you gotta go to space the smartest people, that's right, go to Mars. The <laughs> smartest people, this is, I mean, this is like, if you want to go full doomer, on because this is the doomer episode apparently yeah. and maybe we'll do more maybe <laughs> maybe 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 people should let you know if they like this or if they That's want true. us to get back to some some uh we want to talk about uh, fun things or dooming calmer waters forever. right <laughs> so the the smartest thing i've heard any of these people who i mean these aren't like these aren't the these aren't necessarily the billionaires thinking of this these are people that have $20 million. They've worked hard. They've invested well, $30 million. They're trying to figure out what to do with this. They're trying to figure out where to live. And they, a lot of these people understand history better than, better than I do, better than most of us do. And they understand what's happening and what's coming because they understand economics because they learned that. And because no one's going to teach you that in school. And the, the most fascinating thing I've heard from any of them is I'm looking for a country that has the most distributed, non-top-down, non-hierarchical food and product production. 
So they're looking for, because if you have, let's say you have a country where, first of all, the United States doesn't make anything anymore. That's why we have a service economy. That's one of the reasons why this problem you're pointing out is such a big problem because we don't make anything. We exported all of our production to other countries. Um, and now essentially all we have is a service economy. But we, what we also have is like top-down food production for the most part. Sure, you might have a cute farmer's market from you know every once in a while. But what you have is like massive scale crop monocrops grown on laser level fields with yep. um, GPS guided tractors. And you have a really complex um, system to deliver all that food, relying on semis, relying on um, a, a complex banking and loan system for those farmers. And there's a lot of like, there's a lot of vulnerabilities in that system where if one part of the system goes down, the whole thing kind of goes down. Or if, mm. you know, one part of your um, overlord government gets a little feisty and decides to, to lock something down, then it can really cause a lot of disturbances in the system. And so, so some of the wealthy people that are really thinking about this in the most doomer way possible are thinking about what country can I live in? where most of the food production happens at a very local scale, where most of the goods production happens at a fairly local scale so that the, the government really can't come in and make a top-down decree because there's too many people to, to police. There's too many independent farmers and there aren't a lot of fragile um, systems that are propping up everything. I mean, you look at like, just getting water, getting a salad in Las Vegas or in anywhere in a desert city. I mean, it's got to be trucked in like hundreds of miles, thousands of miles. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. And so these are some of the fragile issues that we may face in the future on top of the cultural decay and on top of a, a huge swath of, of people that have, have dropped out of the system, essentially. Mm. <laughs> happy 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 <laughs> i don't know so I, I mean it might it's not happy right it's not happy but it is i think uh a wonderful example of the invisible path right is it's like it's easy we started with one question and i didn't think it would take us an hour to go through but we did but but the thing is, it's easy to drive by a park, right? Like, so, so I drove by a park um, in a car with somebody who had moved to Denver a couple years ago. And it was like you said, I'm glad you didn't, I'm glad you used the vice analogy instead of the frog in the water analogy, since the frog in the water analogy is, is scientifically mythical. Um, the frog will jump out of the water if you start to heat the water up. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but the crank and then the release is interesting um because it, it does feel like relief if you offer pressure and then you offer relief the relief feels like relief because it actually is relief um but they didn't notice that i had been there was like five months of, of variance between when i was there and and the homeless encampment had grown i would say at least a hundred times and they didn't notice at all they were just like yes yeah, that's, that's just how it is but it had grown a hundred times and it just one tent and then the next day, another, and the next day, another, and the next day, another. 
So I think it's easy to drive by those parks filled with people who have dropped out of society and just be like, huh, yeah, that that's a new thing. There's just, there's tents there now. Or you drive under every underpass in Denver or every underpass in Salt Lake and there are people living under every single underpass. And if, if, you're, if you're me and you've been five months removed from seeing things and then you come back, it hits you like a ton of bricks. But if you were there every day, it just slowly creeps into the reality of what you're doing. So that is an invisible, like that itself is an invisible path. There, there is something new there, whether you recognize that it's new or not, it is new. And, and we didn't talk about this at all before I asked you that question, but the, it was the thing you said, right? Is tent cities are, it's a, and, and they started like the Northwest, the Northern California, like LA, th those areas were hit harder earlier. But my guess is those areas also exponentially grew. And, and those areas, had the high rents before, right? Like Seattle has has had insane rent forever. San Francisco has had insane rent forever. So they were dealing with these problems that are kind of creeping up on the rest of America. But I think what what is what is fascinating to me is you look at a, a, you look at City Park in Denver, which they had to shut down be, because the, it, it was it was sidewalk to sidewalk with tents. Well, shutting the park down doesn't do anything, right? There, there's another park a hundred feet away that will then be sidewalk to sidewalk with tents. Or there's, or there's Cherry Creek, the, the Cherry Creek runs right there and people will go down and they'll, they'll set up their tents by Cherry Creek. So the, shutting the park down doesn't solve the problem. What I think is going to be fascinating is, you know, we've gone through a period. There was a period when we go back to Henry Ford, when we go back to Henry Ford factory time, where cities all of a sudden became a thing. And cities became a place where people moved and people lived. And then 10 years ago, you could buy a house in Detroit for $5,000 because everyone had left Detroit. And now we have all like, Denver, Denver, 25 years ago, was essentially a ghost town. You could buy any piece of property in Denver for nothing. And now you can't buy a square inch of Denver for less than a million dollars. But when, when you pay a million dollars and then you come outside and your entire park that you bought your million dollar condo across the street from is tent to tent, you are going to leave the city. So I think we are now in a place where people are going to recognize, wow, paying a million dollars to live in a condo in downtown Denver is a terrible decision for my life quality. I need to do something else. And we are going to have a massive decline of the urbanization that has happened within inside America. And we have put so much of our resources into the urban development of cities over the last 15 years that we are going to waste because we're, we, we are not addressing the problem of driving by a park and seeing that it is sidewalk to sidewalk with tent and thinking that is a problem that must be solved, not a problem that we turn our head away from. And so the invisible path is to look at that problem and be like, what the heck do we do? Not look at that problem and be like, that's something I don't wanna deal with. Let, my let me turn my head over here towards Cherry Creek because there's no, there's no tents there yet. 
So the invisible path to me, this is, this is an invisible path episode. It's like as pure as can be. It is looking at a problem and realizing that there, there is something beyond just the, just the first view of, oh, here's, here's a problem that's happening. It's really complex, right? And uh, yeah, we, we didn't really offer up a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of solutions. I really don't even know. I mean, it's this is sort of like a culmination of processes that have been in the works for decades. And what so what you do about it, I, I really don't know. I mean, treating people uh, as humans, yep. <laughs> if you happen to run into them, is is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's gotten so bad that people, I don't think they have a choice. They have to bail out of the cities. It seems like some of these areas at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess people have to, geez, if you're still listening to this thing now, you're, you're of a different breed probably. So <laughs> let. <laughs> but you know, maybe, maybe the people that still are listening, they would rather hear something honest and disturbing and painful yeah. and revealing then listen to something where they know it's essentially just a narrative and they're being uh, they're being lied to so that's part of it um when everything is uh a lie on some level or a deception i mean seeing the truth is an uncomfortable thing but can also be pretty darn liberating. So I wanted to get into totally different things. We're going to have to talk about them next time. <laughs> okay. I'm excited. <laughs> you, are you going to preview them? You know, I mean, I really wanted to, I really want to know you teach these, you teach classes. Um, you have a unique perspective uh, that I don't have. And I'd like to know, one of the things I'd like to know is, is like you have these people coming into your circle for yoga and all of that. I'd like to know what is it that people are missing? What is it that they need and where should they, and also where should they start in your sphere really? So uh, a, a lot of different things that are in the Patrick sphere. Uh, that's what I'd like to know about, but we're gonna have to save that for another time, I think. Okay, so I, I, I like it. Let's think about, we'll, we'll create a path towards the next one uh, where, <laughs> where we think about, where we think about uh, what people need. I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting follow-up to this, right? Because I think that is like when I, when you said, "Hey, we didn't offer any answers," I thought you know that's that's hundred percent right. What what is the answer? And it is providing people with what they need, like providing a providing a quality of life that is that is viable and valuable is the solution. Now, how how that solution actually happens is a fun, is a fundamental question that probably everybody disagrees on, but that is the solution. We could probably all agree that the solution is providing a viable path uh, for, to be a part of, of culture and society. So we will, let's talk next, let's talk next episode about what people need. All right. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> I've got to figure it out now. In two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. <laughs> figure out what, but all you need to know is what you need. You're, you're a human. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah, we, we took one question for, for an hour plus. <laughs> <laughs>
So, Joel, thank you for thank you for doing this, man. What a what a fun what a fun conversation. Yeah, not a fun conversation, but also a remarkably fun conversation. Not a fun subject matter, but a fun conversation. I, I love doing these with you because we can we can talk you know, pretty frankly about this and go into places that that most yeah. people don't want to go. So it's a good thing. Heck yes. Heck yes. Enjoy the rest of the day. Have a have a beautiful rest of your weekend. We recorded this on a Sunday morning, so enjoy the rest of the, your Sunday afternoon. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Thanks, man. Are you right. uh, are you doing anything fun today? You collecting water? Collecting water. I think we're good. We're good for right. maybe another week or so. Heck yeah. yeah. It's always good to do that, though, man. I like it. <laughs> Heck yeah. yeah.